Hey, this is Brian McManus, Denver Broncos Super Bowl champion, and you listen to The Scoop on alscoop.com. everybody welcome back to the scoop alscoop.com's podcast this is season six episode 31 i'm john DeCarlo, joined as always by sam newman sam Cohn, kyle gauss with us again for a second week in a row is this the reggie miller episode is it the jamal lewis episode the greatest pitcher of all time episode greg maddox you want to you want to you want to say he's the greatest pitcher of all time greatest pitcher of all time yes Talking like you mean like the like the, the mechanics made the, of made pitching? the most made the most out of out of his talent just the best yeah, mental pitcher that. of all time. Hmm. He was always he was always eighteen months ahead. You talked whatever, not to get too far off, but he once told a story about how he would give Jeff Bagwell certain pitches during spring training because he knew Jeff Bagwell was like so one folk solely focused that he would remember it four months later. He's like I'd give up dingers in spring training to Jeff Bagwell so that way I could f him in August. Like, it was just. And Jeff Collins is our targeted audience this week as we talk Atlanta sports. I mean, Greg, Greg Maddox uh, supersedes all that. Yeah, I did pitch with the Cubs too. So, correct. And the could be appealing. In his career, right? Padres. Could be appealing from our Chicago only Greg Maddox memories is watching the Padres. He was actually number 30 with the Padres, though. So, doesn't count. Yeah, it doesn't. Okay. Anyway. John Lester. Another, another 31. Mike Piazza. Yeah. Pride of Norristown, yeah. Or seen, Phoenixville. Have you ever seen the Mike Piazza Baywatch cameo? I have not. It's nope. insane. It's like Mike Piazza when he's still with the Dodgers, so what, like 93, 94, 95? And it's just him on the beach ripping swings, like in full uniform. And Pamela Anderson's like, wait a minute, aren't you Mike Piazza, the baseball player? And he's like, yeah. She goes, what are you doing here? He's like, it's my off day. And it's just him swinging. Really? And then, like, of course, it's Baywatch. So somebody's 400 yards into the ocean getting caught in a riptide. And Mike Piazza in full uniform goes out there. <laughs> must never, never saw that episode. <laughs> I, I don't think I've ever, I, I only remember like two episodes of Baywatch, but that, that went on Twitter a couple months ago. We're now, the scoop is now huge in Phoenixville because of this. Anyway, well, some stuff to get into this week. Again, more spring football coverage for you guys. Uh, some basketball stuff as well, along with answers to your mailbag questions. But before we get started, we've got some breaking news. Kyle, what do you have for us? I assume that Sam is going to put in the breaking news audio at this point. But uh, we managed to confirm this, broke this uh, right before we started recording, that uh, Temple quarterbacks coach Craig Harmon uh, who came over with Rod Carey when Rod Carey took the job in December or January of 19 um, has resigned from, from the Temple football program. So that leaves Rod Carey halfway through spring ball, ball with all of a sudden a vacancy on his coaching staff. So timing's weird. Um, did hear that it, it, was a res, it was a resignation, not necessarily something that was performance-based or anything like that. But uh, yeah, some interesting news that came across. So I guess, John, kind of what's like your knee-jerk reaction to that? Uh, my knee-jerk reaction would be that I think the the Temple fan base is going to naturally think maybe the the job goes to to Adam to Michael, and there's some some logic to that. As a former Temple quarterback, got a a quick cup of coffee in the preseason uh, in the NFL with the Eagles, so there's obviously 
some institutional knowledge there, uh, be a Temple guy. But Kyle, as you pointed out, uh, a name that that might uh, end up being the you know the candidate to to replace him is Jake Landry, an offensive analyst. Rod Carey coached him at North Dakota, so I guess we shouldn't be surprised if if he's the guy that they go with. Yeah, I mean, I think if if anything that you've kind of learned in your two and a half years of the Rod Carey tenure at Temple is that. Uh, Kerry's definitely a guy that looks probably to fill things internally before he looks to go outside with some, some splashy hire. And Landry's a guy that when he came over here, uh, if, if Gabe Infante hadn't already been hired by Manny Diaz, Jake Landry probably would have been your running backs coach for the past like two seasons. Uh, he, he served that role in 2018 at NIU. Prior to that, he's an offensive coordinator at the D3 level. Before that, he worked with NIU's quarterbacks as a grad assistant. So, I mean, he played quarterback at the FCS level. He played at North Dakota and was a pretty good, pretty good quarterback at North Dakota. Um, so he's definitely somebody that knows the position and he's probably honestly been more, uh, not whatever, I'll use this phrase. He's probably been more fish out of water coaching running backs at NIU than he would have been coaching quarterbacks um, because it's just more of his natural position, the one that he actually has experience doing. Uh, so, I mean, I, we're not we're not ready to break anything like that on the end, but I think that's definitely a name to keep an eye out, eye out for. I would expect um, this to progress pretty quickly. Like we talked about on the boards, this is the middle of – it's the middle of uh, spring ball right now, right? And, yeah, you have guys like Adam Michael who are out there coaching that can kind of fill that role for Craig Harmon in the interim. But I wouldn't expect this to drag out. I would think this is a situation where you have somebody in that role uh, pretty quickly, especially considering that we're like six weeks away from um, like the open period starting again, or the dead pe- dead period ending, I should say. So you're going to need somebody out there that can start re- that uh, is able to recruit with these guys. And when you're the quarterback coach, you're pretty much usually tasked with just identifying like the quarterback for that class and recruiting that. And uh, whether it's Landry or DeMichael or Joe Schmo off the street that's filling this role, that's a role that needs to be filled sooner than later, especially considering. They're replacing a three-year starter at that position. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Well, stay tuned for more information there as it develops. We'll keep following that story uh, this week. Again, if you've been following along on the podcast, more, more media availability as spring football progresses. Uh, the Sams talked to, along with the other reporters uh, on the beat, talked to Walter Stewart, Brett Dearson, uh, Tyler Yelk, Melvin Rice. So again, as we're kind of progressing through things and coaches and players are made available, more details this week. We'll start with um, talking a little bit about Walter Stewart, a guy who, you know, uh, I think we've talked about this before. Some other programs have kind of just poked around and tried to pry him away from Temple, and he's still at Temple, which is a win for for their coaching staff. You've heard us talk about how, you know, current and past players really think very highly of him as a position coach. Um, Sam, what did you what did you hear from Walter Stewart this week? Well, I mean, it was. For him, I mean, it's the first time he's talking since his entire, pretty much like most of his position group left. Right. Um, you know, he, he lost Ifan Maje, Arnold Lee Bichetti, Dan Archibong to the NFL draft, and then Chris Banks. So the four departures. But, uh, I mean, he seemed pretty high on the group. Um, he was talking about the likes of Demeric Morris and Darian Varner and Nick Baggs. It seems like those guys have all gotten to the physical shape that they need to be. I mean, I know that we mentioned here, and Dan Archibong mentioned before, but Nick Baggs probably put on 10 to 15 pounds. So they like where he's at. Um, I asked him about Kevin Robertson. I feel like that's a name worth mentioning. Probably as a rotational guy. I, I wouldn't, I mean, I, we kind of talked about this yesterday, but it's a little premature to consider maybe where he would be as a starter, but um, he's a guy who gets overlooked. He's, he's coming back as 
I think he's a graduate student now, but I'm don't hold me to that. I think um, he's legitimately like 24 or 25 years old, which is a good thing. I mean, they, they need experience at, at that position. Um, and this is a guy that this isn't some 18 year old that was taking pre-cal uh, 12 months ago. Like he's, that's it. That's a man. That's a 24 year old dude that, yeah, I would agree that he's definitely going to probably have a bigger role this year than they did last year. Yeah, and Stewart was kind of pointed on the answer. He said he transformed his body this offseason, gotten even stronger than it was. He's been in the system. It's a good guy to have when you're bringing in guys, uh, younger guys that you're trying to bring along, and then Zach Gill and Teray who are trying to learn the defense. Um, I think we would be a little – it would be a little premature to say that, that that position group is done adding there just because, remember, they did try to add Weston Kramer, and that kind of fell through. So maybe they – you know, look through the cracks at transfer portal, something might happen there. Um, Stewart also had a pretty good answer on the transfer portal because it affected his group more than any other on the team. And this kind of says it is what it is. It's a product of college football. It's college football has become a business pretty much. And um, it's, and you'll hear the audio from him. I think we'll play a clip. It's kind of just what the, where the industry is at. Um, and I think what he was kind of going along the lines is, is it's my job to make sure that these guys, they come here, you know, they develop as players, they get their degrees and they get back to the community. And if I'm able to do all of those three things, I'm fine with it. And I mean, they hear that from a coach is he's being honest with you. I mean, I'm sure he, I'm sure Walter Stewart was not happy to see any of those guys leave. Probably felt they had unfinished business here. And, and you know, they were pretty solid, significant contributors. But, um, you know, he's a highly he's considered maybe like a highly touted coach just because of like John was mentioning his former players. I know Quincy Roche is speaking very highly of him, um, other guys as well. But uh, yeah, no, it, it was nice to hear from Walter. And, and he, I, I think he always just gives it to you straight and um, and some really good answers in, in his conversation with the media. And Penn State interviewed him last year, prior to last season, Cincinnati tried uh, prying him away at, at some point. Uh, again, he's still at the Temple staff. Here's a clip that Sam uh, reference. It's just Walter Stewart talking about the transfer portal. Well, um, you know, it's just, it's the, it's the game. It's college football. You know, you know, that's, that's, that's where we are at right now. Um, as an industry, um, you know, these guys, the guys that, you know, that, that have gone, you know, uh, you know, they'll be fine. You know, they've been trained properly and, uh, you know, it's just, it's just one of them deals as a coach where, you know, we are here to develop and to mentor these guys. And they have options now as athletes to do things, you know, um, that that might not be, you know, what we would want as coaches at whatever institution. And and that's fine, you know. And as long as, you know, you are doing your job at a high level as a coach and developing these guys, you know, where we are at now in the game, I mean, these guys just have options. And that's something as a coach that you got to be aware of and, you know, it's it just it is what it is. And, you know, it, it is tough, at, you know, because of the fact that you might lose some upperclassmen here or there. But it's just the game. And, you know, being in this industry, it's just something that you got to adjust to year by year. And, uh, you know, until something, something changes, you know, I, I just feel like that's just the game, you know. Hey, here's a question for you guys. And it's a basic one. And this will have to play itself out of course, through the rest of spring ball and, of course, in the preseason camp, and it's really the biggest ones. Before we start talking about uh, Brett Dearson's special teams here, I mean, I think it might be fair to say that maybe there's not one guy that's going to replace Arnold Ebiketti, and who knows if if, if Amaje would have had a bounce-back season, if Chris Banks really would have taken a step forward. But, again, all those guys are gone now. Who's putting pressure on the quarterback this season? 
I would say Will Rogers, obviously, and Manny Walker. I mean, he pretty much came out and said also that Evan Boozer is not going to be an interior guy. He's They're moving him to edge. He's going to be there full time. I feel like it seemed that Boozer could be a tweener, and he was originally – um, an interior defensive lineman ability be at edge. I think Manny Walker quietly had a pretty solid season last year. His numbers actually, and he graded out pretty well. Um, it'd be interesting to see a full season from him where he can have like that actual offseason, you know, grow into the defense a little bit more and then having somebody like Will Rogers. And then he talked up the likes of Trayvon King. Then you also have, um, well, Jacoby Sharp, I forgot to mention this. He They're moving him to an interior defensive lineman. He sounds like he beefed up, so he won't be a guy off the edge. But Trayvon King, um, Leighton Jordan, I think I'm blanking on a name here. Um, but the, I feel like I asked you when I, when I talked to Jeff Knowles, it naturally seemed like Leighton Jordan would be the next guy to stand, stand up and maybe be that guy who can fill Arnold Lee Kitty's shoes. But he kind of didn't. I don't know if he felt like Leighton's ready to make that big of a jump, but I'd, I'd expect him to be part of that rotation. Yeah, I would agree. That'd be a pretty significant jump for somebody that going into the last year, they probably viewed Leighton Jordan as just a pass rush specialist, which obviously there's more to play in the defensive end, just rushing the passer. Um, I would agree with the Will Rogers part. I mean, you're talking about a guy that's had eight, 10 career sacks or whatever in the Pac-12. So he's shown that ability in the past. Uh, the, what kind of, as we're t- discussing this comes to mind is, when you talk about – we talk to Jeff Knowles and you talk about position depth and position battle, they talk a lot about how there's one to six guys that can play linebacker that are doing these things. Uh, I'm not saying, like, oh, they're going to move somebody to defensive end, but I wonder if they utilize uh, the combination of the depth of linebacker combined with the depth at safety and Bubo to maybe get a little more aggressive with next-level uh, – packages via blitzes and stuff like that because right now i mean if you're just gonna hey we're gonna line our offense up and we're gonna rely on the defensive line to get there you got a lot of unknown variables right now that i think you might want to take advantage of some of the athleticism in your base scheme i mean brett dearson says hey our, our base scheme is gonna have bubo in it like that that is a position on our team sam franklin played it for an entire season we just didn't have a different use a different name for it so i mean i think if you have that you you might see those uh, more involved Speaking of that, I mean, it seems to think that they they think that Quantel Reigns can be that guy who can just kind of do everything. I mean, I think we'll talk about him in a little bit here. Uh, the, the guy that I was thinking of the name I couldn't come up with is Tyreek Young. There's another opt-out that I know that they like his potential. He's got he's, he's to show me he can stay healthy. No, he doesn't have to show me shit. Like, like, like I'm, I'm not out there. Like, <laughs> I'm just thinks, but, like, this is the guy, I mean, he, he, he was having a good spring two years ago and tore his ACL, John, I want to say. Like, I think he tore his ACL at the spring game. Yeah. Yeah. Kyle's back and bringing the profanity. <laughs> well, I wonder with just talking about the scheme stuff, I wonder if when you have five defensive backs on the field, you obviously might see them trying to blitz some safeties. I mean, you have to like the athleticism that they have there. I, w- I wouldn't try. I wouldn't put it past them. I mean, with the conversation we have, Tyler Yelk, he kind of said, you know, the more D- I'm the safety coach, the more DBs that we can get on the field. So be it. But I think, you have to also, like Kyle was mentioning, you also have, I mean, their base defense is going to have a boobo in it, but you also have to counteract the fact if they're going to play a 4 2 5, like you're taking one of Jordan McGee, Kobe Wilson, Contel Reigns off the field potentially. That might not be, you know, is, are you really putting your best 11 out there when you do that? So, Sam, you mentioned Brett Dearson, who's also overseeing special teams. We know by now how sensitive an issue special, special teams is because it's, you know, it's cost Temple some games. It has not been the same. Of course, when, when Ed Foley left to go to Baylor, the, the rallying cry has been, you know, that, that, that Temple misses him. And, and again, it, 
last season, just seven games, weird season. We all know that, but not much better last year. Temple was 10th in kickoff returns in the league, eighth in punt return average, ninth in kickoff coverage. They really have not, since Rod Carey's staff has come in, really largely affected the game on special teams in, in either direction. You know, Isaiah Wright really didn't get going on returns. There's been a lot. The one bright spot has been Adam Barry. The team was sixth overall in net punting, but Adam Barry averaged 44 yards a punt. That was good for second in the conference. So he's one guy who's clearly improved. Uh, we've talked a little bit about Rory Bell. This is, you know, I think we mentioned either last week or two weeks ago that Rod Carey came out and said, this is a prove it spring for him. You know, if he comes in and solidifies the job, great. If not, he's going to have to fight for it essentially in August. But Brett Dearson talked to you guys this week and, um, you know, seemed, as you guys have kind of explained, seemed a little visibly frustrated when discussing special teams, because again, it, it's going to be an issue and it's going to keep getting asked about and, until it gets better. So what'd you guys take from that session? Yeah, I think uh, Brett Dearson's response to, uh, I think it actually might've been Sam that asked him kind of like, where, like what, what, what's his response to the lack of uh, the lack of success in that unit and kind of looking ahead to this year. And he was pretty blunt that it's not good enough and it needs to get better. And he knows they're, they're easy. So he doesn't want you to sugarcoat it. It's just, they need, they need to be better. And so I want to start by playing this clip from him from the other day um, where he just talks about pretty much just that, that, uh, that he understands that they're not good enough and that they need to make tweaks in that unit. I mean, I, listen, man, I'm in Philly. I understand you guys love sports. You know, so don't sugarcoat me. It wasn't good enough. You know, so, yeah, there's some stuff just like, you know, offense and defense across the nation. You tweak, you know, you, you, you go out and study it and study what people are doing as long as you understand the why. But, yeah, then you're going to do it. But, yeah, there's, there's things that we tweak to make it, you know, like, like a kindergartner, to be honest with you. I mean, because you have to understand with special teams, right, where is – and let's just take a linebacker. Where is his mindset? What's well, playing defense. So if I make special teams – completely boring and very very hard he ain't doing that i mean you can put him out there but he ain't executing so i think that's where i've gone as a, as a coordinator i've gone okay let's keep this as simple as possible now you gotta be sound right but keep it as simple as possible and keep it fun you know but don't you don't have to sugarcoat stuff with me i mean i i'm a human being yeah so again you hear from brett dearson just like fully acknowledging the lack of success they've had uh, I thought the more interesting part from that clip was just that they want to keep it simple because he knows that like he's used the example of a linebacker who's, uh, whose main focus is not special teams. He wants to keep things simple. He wants to keep guys engaged, keep it fun while also taking care of the details. Um, and there are two things uh, I would bring up that Brett Dearson mentioned were just touching on Adam Barry, who John, as you mentioned before, was really a bright spot for both the special teams unit, I mean, and the program as a whole last season, um, which was a big step up for him uh, compared to the season prior. And then the other thing he mentioned was uh, you mentioned Rory Bell. Brett Dearson said he's been consistent, but, you know, a couple of things kind of have not been going the right way. He called Rory Bell a sponge, but he said there's a lot of things that uh, he can improve upon. Just he's young. He's got a good work ethic, but he's just not maybe there yet. Uh, and the last thing I'll mention was, um, in talking about the Bubo, which you guys have mentioned before, was that someone had asked him about what he looks for when recruiting for that position. He said it really just comes down to uh, being able to cover and, um, and being able to play, being able to play in the box. It's really those two things, having length, having athleticism, and then being able to cover and play in the box are the two main things that he's looking for when recruiting for that position. One of the, yes. things, I want, oh, one of the things I wanted to ask you guys real quick, and again, you were in that session and I wasn't, 
for years, and I think a lot of successful programs would say this, you know, freshman or true freshman, redshirt freshman might say, special teams is how I'm going to get on the field. That's how I'm going to get on the field. That's how I'm going to make my mark. Again, if you, if you follow the Temple program, you know that a lot of guys kind of made their mark that way. Tyler Matakevich did before he became this tackling machine all four years. You know, Sharif Finch, even though, you know, he certainly made his mark as a pass rusher, also blocked punts. And there seemed to be some pride in it. Again, to emphasize this, we are not there seeing this stuff with our own eyes in the spring. But, you know, part of that quote that jumps out to me is Brett Dearson says, so if I make special teams completely boring and very, very hard, he's not doing that, referring to this, this hypothetical linebacker. You put him out there, but he's not executing. So I think uh, that's where I've gone as a coordinator. Let's keep this as simple as possible. I mean, it, was he talking about, like, I have to make special teams fun again and desirable for guys? Because if that's the point that they're at, then sounds like they got some work to do. That's kind of the sense I got from it. I mean, for better or for worse, he pretty bluntly made it sound like that, as, as you know, as I mentioned before, that guys, that, that special teams is not the first, um, the most important priority for some of these guys. He wants it to be better. He understands that, but he's almost adjusted his coaching style as a coordinator to fit the fact that he has guys doing other things, special teams. And I hate to use this word could be maybe an afterthought for some of these guys, because I, that's kind of a, a stretch, but for lack of a better word, an afterthought. So he wants to keep it as in his words, simple, fun, and not boring, but also make sure they're paying attention to details and making sure they're executing. I think it's worth mentioning that last season, a lot of the single digits played special teams. And that was kind of their thing. Like if we want the unit to be where where the standard is going to be like golden, we're going to play special teams. And I think maybe Dearson's point gets into that, that maybe it not, might not be their top priority, but then it also, so you counteract it with the fact, okay, why don't you get guys on the field that want to make an impact? Like the Ronnie Stevensons, the Kwesi Evans, the Chauncey Moores of the world. Those should be the, I mean, I feel like those are the guys that should be playing special teams. Not that I'm not going to say anything bad about Will Quenku or Christian Braswell, but when you're playing, when those guys have to play every stat, snap on defense, do you think that, you know, special teams are going to be giving like, everything that maybe another guy would I, I, you can't really say that i'm not going to question their yeah. efforts but i think it's it's worth it's definitely worth mentioning and then speaking of single digits uh sean bradley i think was at practice this past week and dearson kind of had i think he talked pretty much talked to a lot of the players and kind of stressed the importance of how it is you know special teams is huge it's i mean it's the reason why bradley was able to grow up in, in the temple program and eventually be a part of the eagles or be drafted the Eagles. I'm pretty sure he played special teams with the Eagles this year. So it's how he got a spot on the NFL roster. Um, so, I mean, I mean, Dearson probably could have put it better than saying that I can't, that I have to just make it simple. I mean, I don't know if that's, but I think they just kind of have to go back to doing what worked for them in the past. And that's putting guys that want to like prove themselves on that unit. Yeah. And again, let's, let's not overlook the fact that they were dealing with a very depleted roster, a very, again, I'm not like, again, everybody was dealing with this in varying shapes or forms. I think besides the obvious storyline of fans saying every week, you know, is is special teams going to cost them a game? Is it going to win them a game? I I get that again, until it gets better, it's going to be a storyline, but I am interested to see with a hopefully closer to normal season, what they can do there. You know, where, where are some of maybe these, these, these freshmen who still don't lose a year of eligibility can make a mark there again. Like I no coach on the staff was playing with a full deck in terms of like a full complement of players, because again, as we've discussed a million times before, they were healthy at the beginning of the season and then it got bad and it got bad quickly between COVID and, and injuries. So I don't know that you could, as, as Sam just pointed out, you know, they, they were 
really at every position, trying to put guys out there just to, just to feel the team, especially in that ECU game. So uh, another area that is going to be judged certainly, but can't really be judged fully until you maybe get into what looks like a closer to normal season this year. Yeah. Just to kind of add some like data to that, to completely echo what you're saying. I think special teams is something that um, you kind of just see things get depleted by trickling down. Like if, if I'm a mirror, if I'm the safeties coach, if I'm Tyler Yelp, and I'm uh, coaching Amir Tyler. Amir Tyler has to go out there and play 95% of the snaps defensively. It's you're, it's going to be more likely that they're not going to be on special teams. So using Amir Tyler as an example, 2019, where he didn't become a starter until like the second half of the season, he played in on played and started on five of the six special teams units. He was on everything except for field goal kicking. Last season, he played a combined three snaps on kick return, kick coverage, and punt return. And otherwise, he only played field goal blocking because your best guys just were not able to be on special teams right. due to the fact that they are just so thin elsewhere that we, we talked about this a little bit last week that it feels weird to say we're covering a one in 16, but it feels like there's a lot more depth at some of these positions now than there was in 2020 so you hope that maybe you start seeing guys like amir tyler and, and the better players amir mm-hmm. tyler was the was their best like special teams player in 2019 he right. could barely get out of the field in 2020 right so speaking of amir tyler uh you guys talked to tyler yelk this week uh amir's been pretty open about you know his great relationship with him one of the reasons why he stuck around uh talks about how how tyler yelk has made him a better player and you know amir is one of those guys of course that has been there since the Matt rule days and has gone through that entire progression. You know, if you had heard that, Oh, Amir Tyler hit the transfer portal because he has the same litany of things to say, like, well, I've played through so many coaches. It's time to see what else is out there. He stuck around. He's talked about his relationship with, with Tyler Yelk. Tyler Yelk had a quote yesterday where he talked about his relationship with, uh, with his top safety. And we'll, we'll play that here. I like to have fun with the guys. You know, I want to to make sure I get to know the guys, to coach them hard. Uh, you know, we got to get to know them. So so we have some fun. We're pretty loose in our room. And then, you know, I think Amir's one of those guys, you know, he's he's a he's an OBS guy. And, and you you the only way to to coach that is is through being authentic. And um, you know, there's a rhyme or reason of what I teach. It's it's been thought out, it's changed, and I'm willing to 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 adapt and evolve uh through the years i think he he's probably a guy that sensed that goes you know hey this is these are tried and true techniques and and i think he probably sees me as hopefully a a coach and a a friend but somebody that's going to get him get him better uh and he has and there's still a way to go um you know there's a couple approach angles that he took the other day that he and i went back and forth on a little bit in the meeting um but i ended up winning that that argument so all right so again i mean he's the clear leader in the room there uh, you guys have pointed out that Sean Winston's name keeps coming up a lot. A guy, another opt out um, that uh, I think it was, was it Winston that Jeff Knowles talked about? Was he the guy? He's like, you almost kind of forgot that he's around. He's like, Oh, hi, like, nice to see you again. Um, and again, we, we know all about Alex Odom, Trey Blair, some of the younger guys that you know probably would have fought for time last year and even a, a, whatever a normal season would be, but then they really had to play a lot. I mean, is this, is this a, a promising position. We've talked about this again, they're still sort of untested in terms of like real, you know, two, three year experienced guys beyond Tyler. But is this a, is this a position that looks promising to you guys heading into August? I definitely think so. I mean, I think they have a lot of depth there, which is what Tyler Yuck was kind of hanging his hat on. Um, he's talked about MJ Griffin, who, who seems like uh, he's 
playing very fast and physical. And they, they told him they wanted to work on kind of like his, um, I think maybe his, his agility a little bit. And it seems like he has, um, I mean, we, I, we sure do hear it on, and our, my mentions on Twitter are mentions too. Um, his family is very vocal about that, but he seems like a guy who's going to see the field a lot this year. Um, and then more so the field safety position, um, that's where where, it's deep, where things are deeper because you have Jalen Ware who kind of struggled a little bit last year, but they're, they like him, I think. And then you have Winston who's kind of emerged as the guy from the start. I mean, Amir Tyler, when he spoke with the media, said that Winston was running with the ones. Um, and, you know, when Yelk spoke about Winston, he said he this guy did the most work in the dark, just watching film while he opted out, watching film, getting his body ready. And, I mean, he seems – I think this has been a thing that's been said by a lot of coaches that these guys just come back hungrier because, you know, they didn't have they they missed what they didn't have. And obviously they had that they opted out of the season for personal reasons. And I'm sure they wish they could have been with the team. But, you know, you they look at it what they didn't have and now they're back and have it um, and seem ready to go. And you have Chauncey Moore, who I think they like more as a nickel than as a field safety. But I mean, he's still in the mix there. And of course, Alex Odom and um, Trey Blair. I, I mean, they play Alex played a lot as a freshman. I think he had his ups and downs. I think there's a lot of potential there, especially with Trey Blair as well, but maybe this is a season when you give them an opportunity to kind of step, step, they get, they got that experience, but they can take a step back and kind of see, you know, how the guys in front of them do it. Like MJ Griffin is kind of done with Amir Tyler. And it seems like he's kind of emerging as, as a guy who can be there. And maybe that you see the same with Alex Odom and Trey Blair, but it seems like a group that once was like pretty, razor thin when you're starting true freshman there it seems like they got a lot of depth there mm-hmm. now over a corner staying in the defensive backfield melvin rice spoke this week talked about how he was happy with nate wyatt's development he's looking for elijah clark to take a next step and you know saw some good stuff and bad stuff out of elijah clark last season like a lot of guys uh has to hope that freddie johnson of course a, a former receiver bounces back one of the, the quicker guys and you know and and in you know, previous media sessions, uh, Jeff Knowles talked about the speed that they have with Jeremy Jennings, moving him over there. Uh, would you make of what Melvin Rice talked about this week? Well, it seems the one thing that I've kind of gathered from social, just following in social, it seems Nate White has turned some heads and he's, this is a guy who's been banged up a little bit. And I think they're excited. I think we're going to see him a decent amount. I mean, not to overreact to spring ball, but I think he's a guy who's definitely going to be in the mix at cornerback, maybe that opposite too. Keyshawn Paul seems like he's, I mean, Melvin Rice talked about the learning curve, I guess, just him not being with the team for a year and whatnot, or not playing football for a year. It seems like he's come in and really, you know, kind of set the tone as being the leader in that room and the number one, that probably that number one cornerback that they're missing with Braswell uh, opting for the portal. Um, And then he talked about some of the other depth guys. uh, Well, Freddie Johnson will probably end up most likely being the starter. It's just a guy that has to consistently put it together. I mean, he's shown flashes. Cornerback's on his natural position. He's shown flashes that he can be capable, but he also can't stay on the field. So maybe this is a year that hopefully he can, but the, you know, that's easier said than done. And then um, it's interesting what he said about Elijah Clark, that he thinks that the competition is going to, you know, just raise him a little bit, raise his level of play. Like you said, John, I mean, there was some good, there was some bad, there was some ugly from Elijah Clark, but they were honestly putting him in a, don't know if they're putting in the best positions to succeed, but they didn't necessarily have a choice with all, I mean, with how limited they were depth wise. And I think he was another guy who was in and out of quarantine and just maybe wasn't there meant like, you, you just don't know. So, um, I, I mean, I, I kind of expect the corners to be a lot better this year than they were last season. Keyshawn. Yeah, like, oh, good. Kyle. 
No, sorry. Uh, I, I don't want to talk about Sam said you don't want to overreact to spring, but that's entirely what our jobs are at this point is we're yeah. overreacting to spring. And unfortunately, we're not overreacting to spring from actually seeing it or even just yes. in the last 15 minutes. We're overreacting to blurbs and quotes and stuff like that. But to overreact to a blurb, uh, I don't know if people have been noticing, but AlSports.com uh, has been doing daily like uh, football practice blogs where they kind of highlight some of the things that happened during that day. Today, Wednesday. April 14th of our Lord's year, 2021. Um, <laughs> at the end, it says Elijah Clark had a hundred yard pick six to end practice today. So, I mean, maybe you are seeing situations where guys like that are finally healthy. that are able to get into more of a standard football, spring football situation uh, are finally starting to get some, some confidence going. So, I mean, if, if he can step up, if Nate Wyatt can step up, it just gives guys like Andrew Garwo and Jalen McMurray more time to, to kind of cook and time and kind of grow up. Um, also, Amir Tyler and Jalen Ware apparently had interceptions today. So look at that. Playmakers in the defensive backfield. Keyshawn Paul had us had us uh, bopping to nine to five. Kyle said total Dolly bopper. Blair, so like my wife's going to tell me that like, this is my head getting too big. But like, there's a lot of times when I feel like I'm like six months ahead of some trends. And I feel like everyone's coming back around on Dolly Parton. I've been here. I never left. <laughs> me and Dolly Parton, nine to five. It's an absolute bop. Jolene. <laughs> absolute bop she she just she just has hit after hit she got vaccinated the other day she's great uh, are, you, are you trying to say that you're literally the only person that didn't no, forget about no, Dolly Parton no but I'm saying uh the standard person of my age bracket or the Sam's age brackets weren't out here right. lifting to Dolly Parton I used to keep up uh lifting to Dolly Parton so segue. that's gonna blast my pecs one more set then so anyway um I used to text every so a lot of times when I work out, I just put my music on random. And I used to text a buddy of mine whenever like a ridiculous uh, song would come on while I was working out. And I have bench pressed to nine to five. It has absolutely come on like during that time. And it's just like, look, this is a good song. I'm not going to skip it. Like it's right there. Is your iPod as random as as mine on a road trip? And we'll say this. because Yours isn't random. Yours is the same vein and the same. Like I grew up in the 80s and all this. And I really like Yacht Rock and and this type of stuff but it's all like similar it's not like all of a sudden out of nowhere you were like here's vince staples like you have nothing like that yours entirely in your section but i appreciate i've, I've said this before maybe we haven't said with sam's like when we go on a road trip you picked up my ipod i'm like this is you know because kyle shreds everybody and has a great sense of humor i'm like i'm, I'm not coming back from this and he just starts scrolling through and embraces some of the songs embraced uh heartlight was your big one Neil Diamond's Heartlight from the E.T. Right. soundtrack. Like I gen- right. genuinely fond of that song. Actually, that's my, to my, my music right now. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. So, uh, yeah. But again, Keyshawn Paul mentioned that when UConn didn't have a season this year, he was working nine to five jobs. instead of pushing work 10 times harder. So, um, again, another position where. With that. Yes. And, and we can say this now because he made the NFL. So it didn't matter. That's the exact opposite of what happened when Rockwell Armstead worked a nine to five before coming to Temple. Rockwell Armstead spent the working at Wendy's. He worked at Wendy's 40 hours a week and just showed up kind of out of shape and it took him some time to, to kind of lose that. I mean, you worked you worked fast food 40 hours a week for, for six months. Hope Rockwell like, Armstead just stays healthy this year and has a chance to. Yeah. yeah he, had, he, he had some he scary running. Right. I'm sorry. I think he got COVID twice, right? That was, yeah, he was in the, he was in the hospital a while with her. Yeah. So yeah, you hope he's healthy, but I mean, that's a guy that, he worked a nine to five and it took him a while to kind of overcome the fact that he worked a nine to five. And with Keyshawn Paul, it looks like that just kind of fueled him a little bit to be like, holy crap, I don't, I don't want to do this every day. 
which trust me, Keyshawn, I don't want to do it every day either, but here I am. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So before we, before we uh, dip into basketball real, real quick here with uh, some recruiting content and some scheduling news, uh, you guys have pointed out again, uh, CJ Perez had a couple of zingers today and uh, uh, media availability had a quote from uh, the transfer portal and uh, I mean, again, I wasn't there for this one, but it sounds like he took a couple of not so thinly veiled shots at his former teammates, right? Yeah, I mean, you could look at it that way. And I mean, I certainly did. But uh, <laughs> I mean, a guy like CJ, he's somebody who's been in the portal and he he left Northern Illinois for his reasons and he came. So he understands he can get it. And he said he doesn't hold anything against these guys. But at the same time, he's like he's he said he's pretty comfortable with the program that Rod Carey runs. And he's he said it's not going to be perfect. And I think he thinks that some guys were looking for it to be perfect and maybe looking for the greener pastures and seeing what was on the other side. Um, but he also said that like, we're going to kind of show you the guys that left. We're going to kind of show you what we're made of because they do play Rutgers. They do play Boston college. I might be leaving off some other teams, but um, you know, I mean, that's what really Rutgers and BC, no one else on the, yeah, that's, no one else on the schedule. I think that's I mean, what could be Maje, Isaiah Brand Mobley and Chris Banks. Right. So those four guys, um, and I mean, Kerry kind of talked it. about facing it off against them. Right. I mean, he was like, I'm not, we're kind of going to show him, but I don't know. CJ, CJ has always been pretty straightforward. He, he's, you know, friend of the pod has been on here, been pretty straightforward with us. Um, I'm sure some of it, especially, I mean, you got that with like Walter Stewart asking about these things too. I'm sure some of it is just, they're, they're just sick of talking about it. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, because it's been five months, people being like, what's going on? What's this? Why is that? This guy we used to be lining up to the radio, and now he's not there. So I'm sure part of it's that. And I'm sure the other part of it's human nature. Like, it's the same thing as uh, your girlfriend dumped you in sophomore year of high school. Like, yeah, you're happy for him, I guess, but you're not actually happy for them. Like, part of you is like, F you. Like, you left me, and I decided that this was the better situation for me. So I'm, it's be human nature. I'd be more worried if they weren't a little... You know, Rod Carey last year, he said he, again, I, I think we've said this before. He is pretty forthcoming and pretty, yeah. pretty straightforward with the media. And when he was talking about Quincy Roche and he basically said, he's like, yeah, well, I'm like the jilted ex-girlfriend here. I wanted him to stay around. I'd be clinically stupid to say I didn't want him to stay around. So it, it kind of is what it is. And I think a, um, a lot of that is like, yeah, just like processing these questions and getting them out of the way. But yeah, CJ certainly, uh, certainly does speak his mind and, uh, keeps things up front and honest. Um, before we get to the mailbag, um, couple of scheduling developments here. Uh, you might've seen the temple as one of the teams that's going to be in the Charleston, Charleston classic for basketball, Charleston Chew classic, the Charleston Chew classic, uh, USC is going to return that game, uh, to Philly this season. Of course, temple won out there, uh, two seasons ago that kind of looked back then not to go too far back. That was a good game from Josh Pierre Louis. It looked like a I don't want to say a statement game, but early on before things kind of. You know what I remember most about that game? What's that? Is I feel like everybody discovered that like one random website that was like offered like a YouTube TV alternative. And I remember people being like, oh, you just sign up for this and you can get Pac-12 whatever network for free. And everyone was just watching on that. I remember going to bed. Like, I'm not going to stay up for this crap. I got bedtime. And I woke up the next day like, oh, look at that. That's a, that was the, I mean, they started what, eight and three that year before. Yeah. My fond memory of that game is flying back from Philly to Charlotte and like still like making it in home in time to watch the entire game because it was on at what like eleven thirty. Yeah, West Coast. <laughs> this is like if Mike Trout wasn't from Millville, 
I would have no idea like how good he actually is because like it's the West Coast, man. Like I'm just looking at a box score. How many times have you actually seen Mike Trout play? I don't know. Handful of times. <laughs> Sports Center highlights. Every time exactly. it's a bomb. Sports Center time highlights. He doesn't make the playoffs, so you never see that shit. It's just like you could you could, you could be a fake person for all I know. I have no idea. If he if he didn't have the South Jersey aspect, I would not appreciate how good he was. West Coast told, sucks. West Coast told, is best coast my ass. Once once told his father that everybody thinks their kid's going to be good, and then he turned out to be really good. You actually, I know, I remember you telling this story. But you told his dad that. <laughs> no, this I'll tell this super. I mean, this is not like any sort of like terrific story, but I worked at the Daily Journal, a Gannett newspaper in South Jersey, from '98 to 2001, and Millville was one of the schools that we covered. Mike's father, Jeff, is is an awesome guy. Um, Phillies fans have probably heard this before. He played, he got as high, he got as high as I think double A and he played for Charlie Manuel, I think in the, in the twin system and Jeff played at Delaware. So he stayed in the area, was an assistant coach for a guy named Roy Hallenbeck at Millville. Roy just stepped aside and had a really good run at Millville. So again, this is, I don't know, 99, 2000, long time ago. And I was covering a Millville high school baseball game late in the season. That whole staff is, is great. And those guys were always up for talking afterward. And and one of the other assistants, Ken Williams, said to Carlo, what do you guys cover in the summer? What's your job like in the summer? How's it changed? I said, it's a lot of features. And I said, believe it or not, I said, maybe you guys know this. I, I said, they cover a lot of Little League and American Legion ball and stuff like that. People, it really drives readership. And, and Ken looks at me and says to Carlo, you ought to do a story on Trouty's kid. He's, he's supposed to be really good. And I think Mike Trout might have been like 10 or 11 at the time. And I looked at Jeff. I was like, yeah, but everybody thinks their kid's going to be a superstar, right? Before they kind of peek out. And he goes, yeah, yeah, we'll see. We, we, we like him. He's doing all the right things. We'll see what happens. And I was like, oh, yeah, I'm sure. We like him. He's him. doing all the right things. As yeah. if he's a freshman that just showed up. <laughs> and turns out to be just like a, an absolute legend. Major majors at 19 years old. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, uh, but I've never met. Uh, his father's terrific. His, his high school coach is terrific. I, I never actually got the chance to meet Mike, but I mean, he's given so much back to that program, pretty much outfitted their, their uniforms or new field and all that stuff. But uh, yeah, I didn't know what I didn't know back then. So anyway, <laughs> let's get to, uh, yeah, getting back to, to basketball. Um, Sam Cohn, Boston Sam did get to talk to Ernest Uday, right? Am I pronouncing his last name correctly? I guess. So yes, Ernest, Ernest Uday. Yeah. So um Another big uh, the Temple's looking at in the 2022 class. Sam, you want to, again, if you're an Alscoop subscriber, you've, you've seen the story by now. Sam, you want to give us a quick uh, glimpse of that conversation and uh, what you guys talked about and what's in the story? Yeah, sure. So uh, just, I guess, for starters, his game, he's 6'10". He's a big body. Uh, he's athletic, get up and down the floor. He's not exactly your stretch big. Um, right now he sees himself as more like of a more like a traditional big that feels like he wants to be able to be to be able to stretch to the floor, be able to step out, shoot the ball. Um, a couple other schools in the mix for him right now. He mentioned USF, Georgia State, Virginia Tech, and Temple as the four most heavily, quote unquote, most heavily recruiting him at the moment. And he said the big reason that Temple is even in that conversation is because of his relationship with uh, with Jimmy with assistant coach Jimmy Fennerty. He said, you know, Jim's my guy. We talk all the time. He even said he's the kind of guy he feels like he could talk to for half an hour about absolutely nothing. He said they're you know they they've gotten along really well. He said his relationship with him has been really great. They had a Zoom call. He had, sorry, Ernest had a Zoom call with the whole staff recently, sort of like an introductory Zoom call with the whole staff, just introductory stuff to the program, um, to Philly stuff like that because Ernest is from Florida. 
and they're scheduling another Zoom call soon. He said it was great meeting uh, meeting the whole staff. And the last thing I'll say is that the interesting thing he said about Coach McKee, which I included in the story, is that he said something along the lines of, I don't remember exactly what he said, but I remember him saying something that made me think, yeah, he's a good coach. So let that, I mean, take that for what it is. Um, he got a really good first impression of Aaron McKee, of the rest of the staff, of definitely has a great uh, rapport with Jimmy Fennerty. So Temple seems pretty, uh, seems pretty in good with, uh, with Ernest. All right. So let's head over to the mailbag. A few questions here uh, on the message boards. We'll start with one from, uh, again, these are screen names. First one from North Broad. This is an interesting one. Which current or past assistant in either basketball or football will become a head coach at Temple first? Let's go around the horn on this. I'll, I'll finish it up. What do you guys think? I can start. I, I think, I think two names immediately come to mind. And I don't think hoping you don't take mine. Well, it's not that many choices, John. <laughs> uh, I don't think either of these are super likely to be honest. Um, I think the two names that people are going to say are Fran Brown and Dwayne Killings, right? Mm-hmm. And Fran Brown, I don't think is going to happen anytime soon. Cause one, I don't think Rod Carey is going anywhere anytime soon. And mm-hmm. Fran didn't leave on the best of terms. I think it would take some smoothing over that app and Dwayne Killings just got over at Albany and, I'll say Dwayne Killings is more likely of those two just because I could see a situation where, hey, it's three years down the line and Temple hasn't taken that turn. And Aaron McKee just says, like, look, we gave it a run. I gave this my all for five years and then I'm not rest fit for this. And then Dwayne Killings maybe has a little success up at Albany and, and comes down there. So I'll say DK. Sam or Sam? I I could take it. I think DK is a good answer. Um, I I was going to say something along the lines of like, I, envi- I could absolutely envision Aaron McKee sticking around for the long haul. Um, Kyle, I think you make a good point that like, you know, maybe in three, four years down the line, he kind of takes a look in the mirror and says, I gave it my all. I don't think I'm the right person for this job. Maybe there's other people better suited. Personally, I, I feel like um, he's off to a good start, at least on the recruiting um, recruiting front. And he probably has a long career. So I don't, uh, yeah, it's all speculative stuff. Just yeah, yeah, of course. Um, I guess a name I'll throw out there is uh, is Chris Clark. Um, he's a really good coach. He's a good recruiter. He's young, and he's been around the program a while. And I think I would imagine that could be an end goal for him is getting a head coaching position, also, whether a Temple or otherwise. If the question was that, if the question was like, who do you think is most likely to be a head coach next? I could see in the next couple of years, Craig Clark taking like a lower level head coaching job. Chris Clark. Yeah. Not Craig Clark. I'm sorry. Chris. Different. Crook, yeah, Chris Clark. He's got Craig Harmon on. A lot his of Craigs today. Yeah. What about football wise? Who do you think internally football wise could be in it? I don't think anybody on this current staff screams like I'm the next head coach at Temple. You know who? Because- I, you know who my my guy is? Who I think I, I would keep an eye on. I think he's got a bright future in the coaching business. What do you feel like? Nick, Nick, Nick Saban. Nah, you. Kyle has this look. You give me the like the. I think I know. <laughs> Is he currently in the NFL? Yeah. Evan Is Cooper. Mike Saravo? Oh, Evan no, Cooper. I like Coop. I, Coop's a really, really bright guy. I mean, Saravo too. Now I could now obviously both guys, again, Matt rule has a loyal following, you know, with, with guys like Evan Cooper, he's been with them at temple. He's been with them at Baylor, been with them now at the, uh, the Panthers Saravo too. I, I, you know, Saravo is, as a guy that, you know, that could be considered too. Now, again, if, if, if Matt has a pretty good run in the NFL, then maybe both guys stick around. But again, this is all speculation. It's either going to go one way or the other for Rod Carey. And maybe, maybe a few years he continues to, you know, maybe he 
builds this thing out of temple and a big 10 school comes calling, or maybe in a few years, things aren't working out. Um, Coop's a guy I would, I would reach out to. I think he's a, a really bright mind of players have always spoken highly of him. Matt has always spoken highly of him. You know, Fran Brown gets a lot of the attention because he was a flashy recruiter. Evan Cooper's a guy I think of that, that has a bright future in the business. His father, if you're my age, his father was a, a running back with the, with the Eagles, not a super prolific one, but he's been around the game his whole life. That's a, a name that, that jumps out to me, but I like the, like the question. I thought it was a pretty good one. I'd also throw, Another, I, think, uh, real quick, also throw, I think Elijah Robinson's oh, yeah. three years away from yeah. being a coach somewhere. Yeah. I mean, this, I feel like people will, will throw this name out there because it's often mentioned. I feel like I've seen him mentioned before, but I mean, you could always throw the name Gabe Infante out there, what he did at the high school ranks. I mean, that seems like, I mean, he's been a head coach before. It wouldn't be like an, an entirely yeah. huge jump, but yeah, I mean, he's a running backs coach right now. So also, Evan Cooper Sr. was a cornerback, not a running back for the Eagles. Did I say running back? He did. I meant say corner. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's yeah, okay. definitely corner. Yeah. You've talked about corners. It's okay. Yeah. I said Craig Clark, so it's fine. Yeah. Uh, next question comes from the screen name of Park Al. If Dewan Mathis plays up to expectations, up to the expectations his teammates and pedigree have built, this will be the most exciting Temple offense since blank. I, I, I appreciate the enthusiasm. I, I'm not ready to, and maybe it's unfair of me to say this. They're coming off a COVID season. I, I don't know that I'm ready to say. Oh, if if, if Dewan Mathis plays up to expectations, this has the best. This has a chance to be like a 2015 or 2016 Temple offense where you know you're you're seeing backs like uh, you know Juke Penn State defenders out of their shoes and you know going toe to toe with Notre Dame. I, I still think they're at least a year away from reminding anybody of some great Temple offenses. But hey, who knows? So. That's interesting to me there to use 2015 and 2016 as kind of like the benchmarks there. Cause I feel like people tend to remember moments from those seasons. Right. Like, Hey, like you remember Jihad Thomas sticking his foot in the ground and scoring a touchdown against Penn state and then doing the same thing against Notre Dame. But, but statistically well, speaking, they were other better speaking, years. They were, they were fine. Like they were like an okay offense, but they were also the same team that put up 13 points against Houston, the conference right. championship game. And that's 17 points in the bowl game against mm-hmm. Toledo. Like people are going to hate this because I feel like, Matt rule was, is, is revered more than Jeff Collins was for the right reasons. But like that 2018 temple off temple off offense was pretty good. They mm-hmm. averaged like 35 points a game. They consistently went toe to toe with UCF. They dropped 59 on Houston. Like they had, they had some, some options there. So well, that was the rock. Well, that was the Rockwell Armstead show. Rockwell Armstead six touchdowns against Houston. Like, and Isaiah Wright left the, left the field a couple of seconds earlier because he allegedly was not happy. They was, wasn't getting the ball as much, but meanwhile, right. Teammate was scoring a ton of touchdowns. So right. So like, I think I think there's more recent benchmarks like that. There are some like good teams, but like I'm agreeing with you. Like I think I think if Jawan Mathis can give you league average play, like if you go and say, hey, here's 11 football teams and the American, he's like number six, number seven, then they're gonna put up some points. Like they're not gonna be a, they're gonna be a pretty decent offense. But there's a lot of question marks there. There's plenty of weapons. There should be a decent offensive line. It's just I'm not so close to it. Yeah, him no. as a Heisman finalist. I think, yeah, like that's exactly what I was going to say. I think obviously you pump the brakes there. I mean, it's if your expectations are that Mathis is going to be in competition for the Heisman, like slow your roll. I think, you know, upside, you look at it as him as somebody who comes in and can cement themselves as a starter and show flashes of, you know, and, and if you, he's still a freshman. Like he's right. still technically a freshman. He played one game for Georgia. And the other season he was out because he got an emergency surgery on a brain cyst. So I think we're, 
putting a lot on Juan Mathis's plate. Yes, is he talented? Can he can he be one of the better quarterbacks this program has seen? Sure, but I think it would be premature to kind of anoint him. But like Kyle said, they do have a lot of weapons. They have a pretty solid wide receiver core. I mean, the running back room to have a top three of Rayvon Bonner, um, Iverson Clement, and Tavon Rooley is pretty solid. And then offensive line, you're returning guys who have a combined, I think across the line, they have a combined guys who have made over like 100 starts or something like that and collegiately. So, and it should be better the fact that they actually have spring ball this year to get, um, you know, accustomed to one another. CJ Perez mentioned today that he wasn't here for spring ball. I mean, they didn't have spring ball. So, and yeah, I think the offense should, the offense is obviously going to be better than it was last year, but you know, you have to look at it from the fact of, okay, it was ridden by COVID, but um, I think, I don't know. I don't know if the, the expectations of the offense should be what, what it was for the season before, because I think we had, I think we had some pretty high expectations of the offense coming before into COVID. Yeah. The thing is, yeah, that, that pre-COVID part's a big part because, like, yeah, we talked about this last year. We said, like, hey, this they have so many returning weapons. Anthony Russo has so many weapons. They have an offensive line that, like, they should be able to put up points. They did put up points for the first couple – first three games until COVID just ransacked. I mean, they, yeah, I mean, they, they should have scored a lot more there's Navy, and they should have scored a lot more there's Memphis, too. Right. Like, they left points on the field. But so. they still scored, like, 29 points, and then everything just ground to a halt when Anthony Russo yep. – uh, went down and all of a sudden they two lane they're putting up three points and everything just that the season was just over i think um, if any oh god I, I would say with with mathis to, to temper the expectations i would say that if you can fast forward a year from now and you're talking about how Dewan mathis started 12 games and they went six and six or somehow and he put up like league average numbers then you would feel pretty confident about going forward from that but he's still going to be a red shirt freshman that it's yeah. what, it, what, what you see in 2021 is not going to be the finished product so I would just keep that in mind. Yeah, I think any sort of healthy benchmark for them would be, you know, if if, if the mailbag question here, which it isn't, is what, what would you deem, and I'm sure we'll talk about this a lot in the coming weeks, what would you deem to be a successful season? I think they have to bounce back and become a bowl-eligible team. I, I get that that bowls are, are glorified exhibition games at some point where, unless you're talking about, you know, some of the, you know, the BCS games, but I think they have to come back and win six or seven games and, and be bowl eligible. But I think if, if anything, there's a little bit more pressure on Mike Uremovich this year as an offensive coordinator. Again, every fan has, has the coordinators in their crosshairs every year and George DeLeon and, and Matt rule and Scott Leffler, every, every temple offensive coordinator in the past that's had a pretty accomplished career has always, you know, received some, some crap from fans, but this is a year where again, everybody's coming off a of COVID year, but this is, you, know, you could look at your and say, okay, if you guys want to run an offense with a mobile quarterback, you, you have some options here. Again, a, a lot of them are, are untested granted, but you know, you, you know, Mariano Valenti can run a little bit. Real Mitchell can run a little bit. Don't, don't expect Mitchell to be the starter, but you know, even Duncan can run, get out and run a little bit. So they have quarterbacks now in their system in the program that might fit the mold of what you saw them do it in Northern Illinois. So, uh, you know, you know who I want to win the, uh, the quarterback's job. Who? Maddie Vital. And you know why? Where's number 20? Can you imagine looking at number 20, just taking snaps at quarterback? Yeah. It'd be a sight, be a sight to see, John. Yeah, it would. It's good. It's good he's, got a, he's got a good story. It's good. It's good that he's back with the program. I think, yeah. I think his father or mentioned on the Facebook group that he had suffered from a medical condition this past year and yeah. was with the team. I know Jaden Blue said that he was happy that he was back. So it's a shame because he probably would have started. 
that, that game against ECU with when Kamal Gray played. He definitely would have, yeah. If I would have been mad at Vitell. Yeah. What, what I think was kind of interesting, John, is you mentioned like the Temple fans always have coordinators in their in their crosshairs. Well, that was kind of like led me to think kind of the difference between basketball and football. I feel like when people analyze coaching with football, it's like there's an easy enough entry point, right? Like there's easy enough for me as a fan to be like, why are they throwing the ball 40 times? They need to run the ball more and establish this or or they need to utilize the tight ends on slants more. I feel like there's an easy enough entry point that the casual fan thinks that they can do the job better. With basketball and, and Boston, Sam, I don't know how you feel about this. I feel like basketball is somebody like I'm, I'm a basketball fan. I'm a very big basketball fan. I never played basketball like organizer or anything. So like the actual entry point is outside of like, oh, they need to shoot the ball better. It's kind of harder to understand, which is why there's so much value to like your film breakdowns, your X's and O's and understanding what, what the intended thing is. But I feel like that gets less specific criticism. I feel like people just say like, oh, the coach staff needs to do better. Oh, the, the players need to shoot better. And I don't feel like they never say like, oh, they need to run more pick and rolls on this. They need to attack the zone this way differently. So it's kind of just interesting to me. I would agree with that just because it's like the nature of the sport. And I don't claim to know, you know, everything about basketball. Like I, you know, there are people that have played at a much higher level than I ever did, or there are people that have been around the game much longer than I did. But I think just from like being around it as long as I did, talking to people that I've talked to, you know, whatever that I sort of, that I know basketball at a decent level, I guess, but it's just the nature of the difference of the two games where, basketball there's so much more fluidity to the game whereas football like there's a lot more that goes into it and there's a lot more people that know anything about football than i do but like on this like surface it's easier to pick out surface level football analysis than it is to pick out surface level basketball analysis what i'm trying to say yeah so these both these questions here these both from green street al the 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 football question then he's got a basketball question too right am i reading these right Anyway, yeah. we'll start. Let's we'll start. Go, with, let's go. We'll start off with Green Street Owls. Yeah. We'll start off with. Yeah, Sam. That is what he just said. Start off with his uh, football question. Saw the headline to a link of a preview article stating that we'd finished last in the conference. While the optics of last season would justify that, doesn't that seem a bit off? How do you think the odds makers will see the over under total? Yeah, I agree. I'd I'd find it hard to believe that this is a last place in the conference team again. We've said it a million times. It's it's going to be interesting to cover pretty much any team this year coming off a COVID season. But I I think there's there's too much talent. Yeah, so some of it is unproven. We just got done talking about how how Dwan Mathis would 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 need some time and experience. But I, I can't imagine that this is a a last place team. Maybe a middle of the pack American Athletic Conference team, sure. And that that might be progress. It might not be the the progress that fans want. But you know we, we know what previews are at this point and, pr- and predictions are at, at this point, especially they're, they're fodder. They're, they're meant to drive conversation and nothing more. But um, as for how odds makers will seize the, see the over under total. I, I don't know. You guys do more betting than I do, but maybe in the forest range, I don't know if I'm being too optimistic in, in terms of how odds makers see things. I would. So just go the, back to the point of, I mean, the preview. I mean, I think people look at it as like a surface level thing. Um, not oftentimes that people are looking at this, they're looking into the full picture. I mean, we know the full picture. It, obviously, the season was not – if you look at what happened in the Temple, it didn't happen to everything else. They were disproportionately affected by the virus, so on and so forth. But, um, I mean, it's understandable why they'd be picked last to finish, I think, based off people's just limited understanding of what went wrong with the program. They look at, okay, they want one of six – they had this amount of players leave and um, 
you know, that at the end of the day, that that's what it is. But I think for odds makers, um, I would sit around maybe like just because I would sit around four and a half, five and a half, maybe that's where I kind of stand. I, I honestly see them as a six to seven win team, but I mean, I can see odds makers being lower in their chances, but just because they have so much to prove. I'm going to pretty much, sorry, I'm going to pretty much echo what Sam said, where uh, I think it's important to note that this was not a reporter saying, here's my prediction for the 2021 season. This was ESPN's FPI thing, which is their version of like RPI. And they're trying to predict the results via a computer instead of on the field. But I think okay. look at a one win team that lost X amount of starters to the transfer portal NFL and so on and so forth. Um, it doesn't blow my mind that ESPN's uh, formula wouldn't think super highly of that. Uh, I would agree four and a half is the number that came to mind as the over-under. Right. And the basketball question from Green Street Owl, how actively is Temple recruiting the portal at this point, knowing that we don't have a scholarship? I mean, I guess any staff at this point with the portal being what it is, sure, they can, they can reach out. They can reach out through people. Every staff is going to have a recruiting depth chart where they say, okay, if a spot becomes available, hey, we'd love to talk to you. We'd love to have you. Um, yeah, I was on Sean McGee's podcast yesterday and he asked me the same question. It's like, sure, they're going to they're gonna do their homework and they're going to they're, they're gonna do their due diligence. But again, until, uh, again, these are, these are the names that people speculate about. I'm not saying that we've heard anything, but of course people see, well, Ty Strickland's not playing. Is he going to leave? And if he leaves, would they head to the portal? Or Rashford Parks really isn't playing. So if he leaves, would they head to the portal to look for a guy? Again, I'm sure they're keeping their options open, but as of now, we're not really expecting any other roster movement. So um, I wouldn't say that they're actively recruiting the portal, but I'm sure they keep an eye on names. They always have to because anything could happen. Right, and the last question to round things out here, the screen name is Esther Boyer. Hypothetically, if you could reverse, this is another fun one, if you could reverse the recruiting decision of any recent Temple recruiting offer with the only caveat being that they visited campus who would you choose? My pick is Mo Bamba. I mean, they, we got a lot of powerful players to, to choose I, from here, but I, I, that's not the one that I would jump out at because it like, it, it, look, I'm not right. trying to insult the program. They never had any shot with him. I'm not even close. There are I mean, others. There's two that come to mind at very different levels to me. One is Jalen Brunson. Right. Um, because, I mean, you're talking about the Naismith Player of the Year, a two-time national champion, a legacy, a NBA point guard. I think it's not it's not an overstatement to say that that changed the trajectory of Temple basketball in the Absolutely. 2010s of him yeah. going to Villanova. Because if he had committed to Temple at the same class, it was the same class as Shiz Alston and Trey Lowe and uh, Ernest Deflackby, yeah, yeah. That, that would have just been a, a massive class that there were other names being floated that, hey, if Jalen commits here, guys that later went on to be drafted in the top 10 by the Sacramento Kings, there mm -hmm. were rumors that they would also be, be following. So I would say that's the main one. To take it down a level, uh, DeAndre Benbury yes. would be the yep. other one for me. Yep. A, a guy who was very attainable. Like they should have gotten DeAndre Benbury. Yep. Instead, they get him on official visit. I interview him in the concourse of the link, of the link. Like he's on an official visit with Josh Brown there. And instead he commits to St. Joe's and becomes an NBA player. Yeah. Benbury's a guy that would, that would jump out to me. Again, another guy who's in the pros, not having the necessarily the career that, that Jalen's having, but as you said, very attainable was close with Josh Brown. And, you know, at the time, some of the, you know, you, you talked to him directly and interviewed him and we had a story about him. And then, you know, through kind of back channels, you'd hear that his mom was saying, well, you know, he, he's worried that he might be playing behind 
Daniel Dingle and, and guys like that. I'm thinking like DeAndre Bembry is going to come in and, and play, you know, not, not to, you know, Daniel, uh, Daniel Dingle had a solid college career, but Bembry would have been, you know, I mean, he's better than a glue guy, but to think of what he could have accomplished in a temple uniform. I mean, he's another guy that, that could have changed the program um, on an even lower level, maybe uh, not to diminish him as a lower level player, a guy like Tyreek Duran, another guy that they recruited out of Newman Gretti and Giannini, the story goes, was able to bring him into LaSalle's gym, hand him the ball and some sort of ceremonial thing and say, this is yours for the next four years. And at the time, Temple had Juan Fernandez there and, and he wanted to play right away. But I mean, again, you bring him in another guy that can handle the ball really well. You know, he, he was a big part of that LaSalle program that won three games and got him to the sweet 16 as a play in team. So I, I literally, when high Sierra committed, I asked a buddy of mine, if you could, if a wizard came to you today and offered the opportunity that high could uh, have Tyreek Duran's career, would you take it? And I think he'd do it in a heartbeat. He was a solid four-year guy that should have been playing at Temple and instead wouldn't play LaSalle. One more name. A big man. Who am I thinking of? Daniel Oshefu. Yes. Yeah. And at one point. What a recruiting at, story. <laughs> at, at one point, Temple did seem to be they in the lead him. for him. <laughs> in the lead for him. And uh, I'll say and we were yeah. coming back from, uh, I think it was the year that they, that they beat Penn State out in Tucson and then lost to San Diego yeah. State. That was the year that they were recruiting him. And. And Jay Wright swept in and, and got him. And uh, it was down the Temple in Texas at first. Remember that? It was like Temple yeah. in Texas. And then at the very last second, Jay Wright's a good but like, I can just get this five five star center if I want. Yeah. Now, again, I don't, not to drag this on, like, I don't know if, if I were talking to Esther Boyer here, not the actual Esther Boyer, but the, the, <laughs> the person who, not the, not the person who the uh, Temple's music school is named after, but uh, the person who owns the screen name. If you think of how far back, if he's saying how far back does this thing go, then then my pick there would be either Rashid Wallace or, or Richard Hamilton. If you want to go oh, that far oh, back. Oh, you're missing one for me. Who's that? Naismith Player of the Year goes to a local school. Perfect season. Jameer Nelson. Oh, Jameer Nelson. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, there again, there are a ton of programs that you could play this game with. Again, it's it's more poignant for Temple fans because again, as we've said a million times this fan base just wants the program to be relevant again to get back to that second weekend of the tournament, or at this point, just get back to the tournament. But yeah, I mean, the, the Jameer Nelson recruitment changed the complexion of college basketball in the city for a long time, because, you know, I think John Chaney assumed that he could get in at a certain point with Jameer, but Phil Martelli had that relationship with Fred Pickett and just recruited the heck out of him, recruited the heck out of him. And I remember seeing that, I actually remember, again, this is a long time ago, being in my grandmother's kitchen, picking up a copy of the Delaware County Daily Times and opening up and seeing the Jameer Nelson to commit to St. Joe's. I was like, wow, that's a big get for Phil. That's going to that's gonna change things. And it did change things because that's when John, God rest his soul, was at the end of his tenure. And they were running guys like Tyreek Byard out there and, and Jameer Nelson and Delonte West and Pat Carroll were, were running circles around Temple. Sam and Sam, any uh, any recent names you want to throw out there? Or? The only name I'll add, and I was going to keep quiet on this because obviously haven't been around the recruiting trail for very long. Um, You're so Your whole the, life is ahead of you. The whole, the whole where they end up, um, I don't have a good answer for. But I think that one name, if you – we had this conversation in like eight years. I think Stevie Mitchell is a realistic name for someone who could turn out to be a very good college basketball player. Where he goes after that, who knows? I guess it depends right. on that. Like he can be an overseas guy. 
he could find his way into a, as John would say, a cup of coffee in a league. Um, but I think he's him or Sam Iamide are the two names that that first came to mind as guys that could, if we had this conversation in eight years, have that conversation. But my knowledge of past missed recruits is is pretty thin. Stevie Mitchell one's interesting, and again, that'll be the conversation point in the future. Well, you know, people will be following his career and and following Heisier Miller's career because it's no secret the Temple recruited the heck out of Stevie Mitchell. At one point, Stevie hadn't committed and and villanova got oh god i'm gonna blank on the the, the kid's longino. name from north who jordan longino not longino Long, he's longino. he's the he's the he's the forward from from germantown academy the the the, the 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 guard from north jersey that they got oh um instead uh because it looked you know at first people thought okay if if nova's offering him and if that offers firm stevie's going to go to nova and they took the the point guard from north jersey and i'm blanking on his name so at that point Fan base is thinking. They're also okay. blanket on where he's from. It took Angelo Breezy from Virginia. Why did I think he was from Jersey? Are you thinking of Jalen Worley or whoever they had? No, 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 no. Because Jalen Worley went down to Florida, is, is going to Florida State. No, Breezy's the right guy. I don't know why I thought he was from Jersey. So anyway, um, but yeah, I think people are going to be following both their careers closely. And and Stevie, I guess, is going to stay committed to to Marquette after talking to Shaka Smart, right? So and on the on the semi immediate front, going to Memphis, they're going to play him twice a year, right? So that's at least a name that like. They're going to see a hand temple's going to see a handful of, and if he destroys them, then it's like the narrative becomes what if they got him? If not, then the narrative is good thing. They didn't get him. Yeah. That's, that's the same thing with Tyree Duran and, and um, Jameer Nelson is it wasn't just that they sure. chose somewhere else. They played, they chose a team that temple was playing three times a year. Yeah. Like they're playing twice in the 10, they're pricing him in the 10 tournament. So, so like three times a year, you're facing them against this guy who, who chose to go elsewhere. I just pour more salt in the wound. Rondé Hollis Jefferson. Yep. Um, and our guy that you're a legacy guy. Yeah. On, you're on here on visits. You're on here at Midnight Madness or whatever. And by the way, I'm going to go to Arizona. Yep. Yeah. They love it. Anyway. So well, yeah, probably just on my, I'd have to echo Kyle, just say Jalen Brunson. I mean, the trajectory, like who knows the trajectory of the program. I mean, it had a domino effect where Brunson, like, didn't, and McKee ended up being hired instead as the assistant, yeah. right? He's hey, hey if you want to be an optimist, like if you want to look at that from a positive perspective and you're a Temple fan that uh, wasn't happy with some years, Fran Dumpy is probably still the coach at Temple if Jalen Brunson comes because they probably legitimately go to a Sweet 16 or something like that and he can hold on to his career a little bit longer. Yeah, and again, people debate the legacy of Fran back and forth. There are two pieces about luck in my opinion. Well, I mean, the one obvious one is, is Trey Lowe, unfortunately, getting into the car accident who knows what his career would have been had, had he been able to stay healthy. And that was just a, you know, just an, an awful set of circumstances for him. And, you know, he was on his way, had a really good game against Villanova. And I, I don't care what fans say, you know, when, when things happened with Rick, when he was initially charged with the whole thing at the, you know, the, the massage therapist out in suburban Chicago uh, and they couldn't wait around for him. There are some angry fans that say Fran should have been able to close the deal regardless. I do not put that on Fran Dunphy whatsoever. No, he did everything not. he could, you know, kept the job open for Rick as long as he could, and they they had to move on at some point. And there is there's so much to so much to that story. If, if Fran got the opportunity to coach Jalen Brunson and, and Trey Lowe, yeah, it, it, again, no knock on Aaron, but yeah, Fran might still be the coach at Temple. So anyway, uh, thanks for sticking with us this week uh thank you to all of you who have been listening faithfully throughout the years listening to the scoop we'll be back next week with more football content any breaking recruiting news so uh i'm gonna start the first verse of faithfully there hey if we can get a license to play some journey sure <laughs>
Kyle is, is maybe when Sam edits it later, he can just sing it. Slip that in there and, and uh, see if it stays on iTunes or wherever you access your podcast. So thanks for listening. And we'll talk to you next week. Mm-hmm.